Well, if you have a Bible, Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Last week, of course, uh, I was gone. I was preaching over there in my uh, dad's church in, in Nephi. But two weeks ago, we introduced the book of Proverbs. And we spent uh, the majority of our hour, the entirety of our hour, in fact, on background issues as you know, regarding uh, Solomon, his how God blessed him with supernatural wisdom. We looked at uh, some of the... Uh, the purpose and structure to Proverbs, etc. Well, this morning, we're going to jump into the text itself. So essentially, we spent the majority of our time last time in verse 1, which states the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And that was kind of our background to the book. But our goal this morning is to work through this first paragraph, we uh, at least to verse 6, and then we'll, uh, we'll probably save verse 7 to next time. It deserves its own treatment. But recall with me that this opening paragraph from Proverbs 1.1 to verse 7 essentially serves as the introduction to the book. It's giving us a clear-cut purpose to the book, not only who wrote it, but why it was written. And its purpose is namely to impart wisdom. He makes that crystal clear in this section. And so we're going to read this, and then we're going to examine from this passage three big ideas, which will occupy the, the remainder of the hour. I want to look first at just the concept of wisdom. I want to start introducing this concept. We've, I summarize it with that uh, uh, kind of pithy definition that wisdom, my favorite definition of biblical wisdom, is skill for living or skillful living. And the idea is that God is giving to us the means by which, the savvy by which, we can live life with skill. We can navigate the difficult waters of life. Well, I want to spend a little more time introducing that concept of wisdom because it's, it's, very, it's given a lot of different synonyms here in this opening paragraph. But then I want to step back and consider generally the idea of a proverb, that why has God chosen to relay or convey his wisdom in the form of a proverb and, and understanding what is a proverb and how does it work. So we'll talk about that. And then uh, as much as time will allow, we'll, we'll end with just the, what I call the road to wisdom. In other words, the path, the milestones along the path, if you will, of uh, that God gives us throughout the book of Proverbs on how we become wise. How do we become wise individuals? How do we attain this wisdom that the book of Proverbs is telling us about? And so I'll just kind of give you a snapshot of how the book of Proverbs at large leads us in that direction. All right, but with that said, if you got your Bible, let's read Proverbs 1, 1, and we'll go down to verse 6. The Bible says this, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Pause there. Now, Again, as we introduce this concept of wisdom, it's a big idea that I'm going to try to boil down and summarize for you best I can uh, and try and give you a big picture and then we'll look at some of the more minute details that are given to us in this text. But the word wisdom is going to appear 39 times in the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's, it's obviously a huge concept. It's the key theme and idea to the book. And as I like to say, I think it's best defined as skillful living 
or skill for living, either way. But the idea is that God has given to us what is necessary to live life for his glory, to navigate the difficulties of life with skill. But being more specific, this passage gives to us, this and then the remainder of the book, will give us 12 different words that are synonyms for wisdom. And what's interesting is if, as you examine these, and I'm just going to give you a quick snapshot of these. We, 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 will, we can't exhaust all of them uh, you know, in this, this hour here today, but I want to try and give you a quick definition to these 12 different words because as you look at it, you know, it's kind of like back to that whole diamond analogy. It's kind of like when you look at a diamond to understand its beauty, you have to spin it and look at it on all sides, look at every facet, every angle, every cut. And wisdom is a big concept in the book. And it's the key concept that Solomon's trying to communicate to us. But he does so by using 12 different words that are essentially, you know, they're synonyms. They're, they're giving us slight different nuances to the overall idea. But as we do a flyover of these big 12 words, we begin to grasp Solomon's concept of wisdom and what it is he's trying to communicate to us. And so we see them right here in our text, and many of them, and the most of them, appear right here in this opening paragraph. So look at verse 2. He says, first, he says that the purpose of Proverbs is to know wisdom. The first of the 12 words is that word wisdom. In Hebrew, it's, it's uh, chokhmah or kochmah, and it's generically used to describe skill. That's where we get this idea of skillful living. This is one of the more frequently used words in the book. And we see it appear in a number of different contexts throughout the scripture. In fact, if you were to go back to Exodus chapter 31 or 1 Kings 5, Psalm 107, or 1 Kings 7, uh, Isaiah 44, we see this word is used to describe skill in various things. For instance, in Exodus 31, it's the craftsmanship uh, of, of two individuals that God fills them with his spirit. It's Aholiab uh, and Bezalel. Right, those two guys that God fills with his spirit, gives them wisdom or skill in order to what? Build the wilderness tabernacle. And God is, is supernaturally infusing them with the skill to be craftsmen in this process. Well, that same word is used to describe the architectural ability or skill of uh, Hiram, who is one of the primary architects of Solomon's temple, 1 Kings chapter 5. We also see the word in Psalm 107 describes seamanship. So the idea of the skill to navigate difficult waters. And that's the, the analogy, the word picture I use often to build, right, of this idea that skillful living. Wisdom is all about skillful living, the ability to navigate life. Well, Psalm 107 verse 27 uses the word in that context. And then, of course, general handiwork or excellence in craftsmanship also appears, again, in the Solomonic temple building process, 1 Kings 7, as well as Isaiah 44. And so this idea of skill is most basic to this word. And so the skill that the fear of the Lord gives us is that ability to make good choices about life and to navigate difficult situations. That is, again, uh, the basic idea of this first Hebrew word that he gives to us. But notice again, verse 2, he says, to know wisdom and instruction. The second word that he gives us in this passage is the word musar in Hebrew, but it means instruction. It refers itself to the idea of discipline or correction. This word will be used 30 times in the book and refers to the idea of the, the threat of punishment. 
It describes how we are trying, again, think about parenting. As we are trying to grant, overall, we're trying to impart wisdom to our children. All right, that's what Solomon's doing. He's, this is book of Proverbs is a wisdom curriculum written for his son Rehoboam. So Rehoboam could be the wise king that he ought be. Well, as we're trying to raise our children and instill wisdom in them, part of the process is instruction or discipline and correction. And the idea is that we try to teach our children by using the threat of punishment. We issue warnings to them. We offer restraint, discipline, or training. And the idea is that, and we'll see this over and over in the book of Proverbs, we'll see positive teaching, do this, be this way, but then there's a negative example. There's a warning, don't do that because that comes with you know, some dire consequence. And so the idea of, of the corrective hand of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord, is really at the core of this idea, this word. So this word indicates an element of severity that accompanies instruction in wisdom. It's a measure of discipline required to master wisdom. In fact, the word is used in Proverbs 5, verse 23, to describe in, in the phrase the rod of discipline or the rod of instruction. Right? How many of you, when I grew up, my dad had a, uh, a one by two, it was about two feet long, and it was, we called it the stick. And he had it all polished up, right? It was, it was sanded all smooth, he had stained it, and then over the years, we, he cracked it over our behinds, and so there was like glue all over this stick. And that was the instrument of instruction, the rod of discipline. And, you know, it was one of those things that, again, I will never forget, but it was good, a bunch of good lessons that my father passed on to me. And, uh, but that's the idea, is Proverbs 5.23 talks about the rod of discipline, that wisdom, sometimes it requires that. It, it requires, as one scholar aptly puts it, a swift kick in the pants. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to become wise, sometimes you've got to get beat up by life a little bit. There needs to be some instruction or discipline instilled. The third word also appears here in verse 2. It says, to receive or to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. Now, that idea of understanding, this Hebrew word, binah, basically means discernment. It's, it's referring to the ability to make distinctions between things. That's the idea, between. In fact, that same word is, is, it can be used, a different form of it, can be used as a preposition. To be between something. To decide between two options. And so it's, it's referring specifically to the idea of make, seeing a difference in moral or options or ethical situations. In other words, when you study, I don't know how many of you have ever studied the topic of ethics, but an ethical dilemma, right? They exist. It's, it's a difficult situation where you're, it seems like either choice you make, you're going to violate, quote-unquote, some biblical principle or moral demand. And so ethics is, is a difficult subject at times because you're trying to weigh the weight of your choices and the outcome of your choices and to make the best possible decision in a difficult scenario. Well, that's what this word is referring to. Well, then look at verse 3. He says, we are also, also to receive the instruction of wisdom. So the word wisdom there is a new word, and that's the word shakal in Hebrew. And this means to be circumspect, to give attention to, to ponder, and thus experience success. I love that word circumspect. It's an old English word, but I still, I just can't get over it. But uh, and every time I think of it, I think of uh, high school football, where my coach said, hey, and I was being trained as a middle linebacker. 
Can you imagine that? I was, a, I was big in eighth grade, right, in ninth grade, and then they, they, I quit growing. <laughs> they all outgrew me. So I was a little high schooler. You know, when it comes to senior, I was a little senior. But anyways, but when I was a freshman, they were training me as a, as a middle linebacker, and that was what he said. He says, keep a head on a swivel. Keep your head on a swivel. And the idea is you always got to look around, right? That's what the word literally means, the word circumspect. Right? Circum, the idea of a circle, spect means you're looking at it, right? So you're, the idea is you're looking all angles. You're looking completely around. You're examining something from every possible angle. And when you do this, you have shakal, or again, it's usually also translated with the English word wisdom, but in Hebrew, it's a different word. And this, is, this ability to give attention and ponder and thus you know, achieve success is illustrated, for instance, in the life of David. In uh, 1 Samuel 18 and verse 30, this same word is actually translated success, that God granted to David success wherever he went. Remember, and this is why Saul started fearing David, because David, every time he went out to battle, he won. And he, he was just, it was remarkable success. And the nation was beginning to take notice of David. And that, but that idea, his success was tied to his wisdom or his ability to look at a situation, to ponder it, and to come up with the best possible course of action. Again, in verse 3, it gives us another word. We're not only to receive the instruction of wisdom, but also justice. This Hebrew word is an important word, appears many times in the Old Testament, but eight times in the book of Proverbs, and is translated either justice or righteousness. And it it's a conduct word. It describes the ability to conform to a standard. Elsewhere, it's used in a concrete sense to refer to commercial weights. In fact, Deuteronomy 25 describes this. The idea is that there's a particular standard by which you measure everything else. That if you were to have a just measure or weights in a commercial sort of sense that are true or honest or just, then they have to adhere to the standard. And so again, the book of Proverbs is Solomon trying to help Rehoboam learn moral righteousness, to adhere to God's standard of living. And when I ad adhere to that, I become wise and in, in the sense of justice or righteousness that is uh, incorporated into my life. Again, continuing in verse 3, he says, we are to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment. The word judgment, also there in verse 3, this is a word, uh, in Hebrew, it's the word mishpat, and it's used 20 times in the book of Proverbs, and it, it also means to be just or equitable, equitable in ethical uh, and be ethical in your verdicts or decisions. The word mishpat is normally translated judgment in the sense that the idea of having good judgment, making a wise decision, uh, the ability to discern and to give a just verdict or a verdict that adheres to God's justice. Right? So again, it's, a lot of these words are similar in, in, in uh, how they overlap some of their semantic range. But again, notice this one is typically used in the sense of a court case. We see it, for instance, uh, I mentioned this last time, but 1 Kings 3 verse 28 is, uses this word. And that's when Solomon had that impossible situation presented to him. Remember this? The two harlots that are both claiming a child is theirs. And you remember this? Solomon's verdict, his mishpat, his decision on that was absolutely just and right. He saw exactly the truth of the situation. 
Well, remember, Solomon is trying to train Rehoboam. Rehoboam's going to be the next king. So he's trying to say, Rehoboam, you need to have this sort of judgment, mishpat, the ability to make a wise and equitable decision, a verdict that will enforce justice. The final word that's given to us in verse 3 is the word equity. Equity, this is the seventh word that we see so far. And the word equity, or yoshar in Hebrew, occurs five times in the book of Proverbs. And it refers to the idea of balance, uh, something that is level, straight, or smooth. So it's used in a concrete sense to describe, for instance, and, and again, this is very helpful. Sometimes when you're studying words, it's really helpful to do a word search and find that word used in a narrative section of the scripture because it gives you an illustration. Well, here's an example of that. In 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 12, this is this particular word is used to describe the cows that were walking straight down a path without turning right or left. Do you remember when the Ark of the Covenant was stolen? I digress. This is one of my favorite stories, so I, you know, I don't want to spend too much time you know, away from Proverbs rehearsing it. But it's, it's when the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines. But then when they steal it, every Philistine city that harbors the Ark of the Covenant gets hemorrhoids. Remember this? It's a great story, right? I mean, this is, it's kind of tough to come up with a flannel graph on that one for your Sunday school class. But, but the point is, you're teaching and you're like, hey, it's, it's God is inflicting judgment upon each of these Philistine cities. So what do they do? They pass it from city to city, right? The Pentapolis, the five governing cities of the Philistine nation, send it from one city to the next. Well, then finally they say, man, this is just not working. We need to get it back to Israel. So long story short, they make a cart and they have these cows that they, they send it back to the Israeli territory. It ends up in the city of Beth Shemesh and, you know, you can read the story. But the word there of the cows going straight down the path, that they don't veer to the right or the left, that's what this word is referring to. Now, wisdom literature often uses this word or at least this idea, this motif of a straight path to describe a morally straight or upright life. That's the idea, is that you're walking the narrow way. Is that's, the word, that's the way Jesus puts it in the New Testament. But Jesus is building upon this concept of the Hebrew wisdom literature, that there is a way in which we are to walk. And then there's a crooked path that we don't walk on that path, right? We stay on the straight and the narrow. And of course, this is the, uh, the, the core idea for those of you who have read Pilgrim's Progress, right? Good old John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress. Well, that whole idea of staying on the straight and narrow road, right? He's building off of this concept. And of course, Jesus' rendition of it there in Matthew chapter 7. But nonetheless, this is the idea, is that we're to stay on the straight, moral, upright path. And so this, again, when used as an adjective, refers to moral, uh, conduct, uprightness, integrity, uprightness versus wickedness. So we'll see this word appear throughout the book. Well, then look at verse four. He says, we're also, the book of Proverbs is to give subtlety to the simple, subtlety to the simple. Now, the term subtlety, or also translated prudence elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, is, is used three times in the book, and it refers to a shrewd plan of action. It can be uh, viewed positively or negatively. In fact, this word is used in both contexts. When it's used in a negative context, it's des it describes a uh, plan of deception. You remember Joshua chapter 9? Remember the Gibeonites who tried to get on the good side of the Israelites, and so they lie that they came from a far-off country, 
You remember this? And the reason was because, you know, God actually commanded that those nations within the land of Canaan be wiped out. And the Gibeonites knew that. And so the Gibeonites, to try to deceive Joshua into thinking that they came from a long ways away and thus, you know, were, uh, they qualified for a covenant with Israel rather than war, they came up with an elaborate plan of deception. Well, that's where this word is used. Uh, it's also used in Exodus 21 to describe premeditated murder, the idea of a plan of attack. It's also used in Genesis 3 and verse 1 to describe the subtlety of the serpent that comes to deceive uh, Eve there in Genesis chapter 3. So those, that's how it is used negatively. But when you use the same word positively, it means cleverness, to be clever, to be shrewd, to be cunning, sensible, prudent. I love the word prudence, and it's built off an old English root, and it means to see beforehand or to see ahead. It, it's the, it actually is connected with the word providence. But the idea is that wisdom that is prudent, you know, biblical wisdom has this facet of prudence where you can see the consequences of your actions before they happen. Isn't this the mark of maturity? This is what we're trying to teach our kids. Actions have consequences. And so wisdom that's what this is referring to, is the ability to see the consequence before it happens or to have a goal out in mind, you know, a goal to, that you want to accomplish and then to lay out a path, a plan to get there. That if you want to be, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, then there are steps in the process to get you there. And so that ability to plan ahead, to be shrewd, is what this word is referring to. Jesus employs this meaning, this concept, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, when he tells his disciples to be shrewd or wise as serpents and harmless as doves. The word wise, there is a particular Greek word in that context, but the idea is synonymous. He's telling them to be shrewd, to use your resources wisely, to know which step to take uh, in order that will lead to the next and to ultimately accomplish your goal. So again, I like the way uh, Warren Wiersbe summarizes this word. Prudence or subtlety is the kind of intelligence that sees the reasons behind things. People with prudence can think their way through complex matters and see what lies behind them and thereby make wise decisions about them, end quote. All right, and this is one of my favorite of the words, if you can't tell. But, but now let's look again, verse 4. He says, to give subtlety to the simple, but also to the young man, knowledge and discretion. The word knowledge there in verse 4 is da'at in Hebrew. It's going to appear 39 times in the book. It's very closely related to the intellectual aspect of that first word, kokhmah, or wisdom. The idea is it's information. To be wise, it's more than mere information and knowledge, but it does require that, right? Wisdom, as many, you know, again, in our colloquial speech, we often say wisdom is the application of knowledge, the application of information, and that's true. That's, that's, a, that's a helpful definition, but it does require information, right? So wisdom, there is an intellectual component to it. And that's what this word is getting at, is that there is a storage of information and experience that we use in order to be discerning. And so we'll see this word, for instance, used in Proverbs 10, 14, to describe the knowledge of a wise person versus the babbling of a fool. Have you ever understood that? I forget whose name I have written next to that one, but I have a number of names that come to mind uh, in my you know, life experience, my childhood years, 
you know, as my dad was trying to teach me wisdom, you know, there's people that just babble. You know what I'm saying? They just ramble and they say nothing intelligent. It's like they just fill the air with the sound of their voice. And you're just like, what in the world are you saying? Well, that is a foolish person. Contrast that, Proverbs 10, 14 says, a wise person has da'at, knowledge, that when they speak, you actually learn something. There is viable information, true information, helpful information that they pass on. And so that's what this word is referring to. But verse 4 gives us one more word. This is the 10th of our 12 synonyms, but it says, is to give young, the young man knowledge and discretion. This word discretion describes the ability to make plans or formulate the best course of action for gaining a goal. So it's very similar to that idea of prudence that we talked about earlier. But this word is actually in the verb form. It does appear in Genesis 11 verse 6 to the idea of the plan. Remember when they, they wanted to build a tower to the heavens? Remember this? And so they planned, they purposed uh, how to do it. And there was a process, right? They had to make brick. Well, to make brick, you have to have all of the you know, in, in ingredients. And then you, you put it together and then you fire it in a kiln, right? You bake that, that brick. Well, then, then you build with that brick. And now a bunch of bricks together, you got a tower, right? The idea is that there's a process. There are steps that come before another step. And so that's what this word is, is referring to. But then look at verse 5. He says, it's not only to give, you know, subtlety simple to the young man knowledge and discretion, but verse five, he says, a wise man will hear and will increase in learning. Verse five, the word learning, this is the 11th of our 12 words. Aren't you glad we're almost to the end here? But uh, he says in verse five, this idea of learning, it's actually in, in, in the Hebrew, the root word is to take and it indicates the idea of offering uh, for willful reception. In other words, the, the wisdom is offering up an idea, right? But you need to receive that. You need to take hold of it. You need to listen. It's a willful reception of wisdom from others. I'm going to build upon this a little bit, uh, a little bit more in, in the end of the hour and then throughout our study. But notice how it connects it at the beginning of verse 5. A wise man will hear and will increase in learning. The idea of learning is the idea of listening, that you're going to listen in fact, that is, uh, and I think, now I've got to go back and look. It was, a, it was an old Greek or Roman uh, writer who first coined it. But I heard it many times growing up, right? The idea that God gave you one mouth and two ears. So what are you supposed to do? Listen more than you speak, right? And this is, I mean, every time, you, you, you know, I mean, we, we get it. We were kids once. We're raising kids, grandkids, whatever. And they hit that stage where they learn how to talk, you know, and then they won't shut up. And then they hurt, they hit that stage where they think that they know everything, right? And we have a name for this. Do you remember the high school years? We call it freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Do you remember this? Why, do you remember the term sophomore? It's a Greek term. You know where I'm going with this, right? Sophomore is a, is a play on words. It means a wise moron, that's what sophomore means. And the idea is that by, you know, by the time they're, because well, when a freshman comes in, they're a little intimidated and they're like, oh, you know, I, you know, I don't know everything and, you know, I'm going to learn. Well, then by the time they're a sophomore, they think they know everything, right? They've been there one year, but they're not as dumb as the freshman because they're, uh, you know, year two. And so, but they think that they're awesome, all right? And, but that's kind of the idea of, of a fool is someone who believes they already have all the information necessary. They're unteachable. 
But the most basic, important characteristic of a wise man is that they listen. They're teachable. They learn. Yeah, you got a thought? Do you suppose the upperclassmen named the sophomore sophomore? I'm sure that's probably the case. <laughs> upperclassmen, right? They probably invented the term. Let's be honest, right? <laughs> oh. But that's the concept. All right, so then notice the final word uh, in also verse 5. He says, a wise man will hear an increased learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. That's our final word, the word counsels. And this, again, means direction or guidance. The root of this word actually refers to the pulling, pulling something with a rope. And, and most believe, most uh, you know, lexicons will point in this direction, that the word at its most basic Root was used to refer to, again, the art of navigation, particularly the guiding of a ship through its tackle, right? Just as you can, you can pull on this rope and change the pitch of the, the sail and you can catch the breeze and navigate the ship, etc. That idea is what it seems to be most uh, fundamental to this root word. And the idea is, again, the concept of advice that is given by professional advisors, those who are trying to guide the young into the path of wisdom. And so, they, again, I mean, uh, this is a, a pretty interesting introductory paragraph, and it might be a tad tedious to work through all 12 synonyms, but I think once you get a picture of the overall idea and you can see the various components that go into it, wisdom is a big concept that is, it involves all of these various nuances. But if you boil it down, let's go back to kind of our, our simple definition, the idea of wisdom as skillful living. In other words, when you pile up these 12 synonyms, I like to boil it down to that basic phrase that wisdom is skillful living. And this is well illustrated throughout the book of Proverbs, but in a couple of, of key texts. Proverbs 6, for instance, uh, is going to point us to the ant, right? Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Uh, Proverbs 30 is going to point us to other animals, uh, such as the locusts that has neither overseer or ruler, and yet they all get along and they, they go in their ranks. Interesting. Uh, he talks about the conies, right? Those little rock badgers. When my wife and I were over in Israel, uh, one of the days we, we went and, and we went on top of Mount Arbel, which looks over the Sea of Galilee, and we had like a lecture up there. But then we were able to hike down Mount Arbel, uh, down through this, this pass, and it was just kind of a fun way to, you know, hike and see the country. And, but as we were hiking down this, eh, it was a pretty de decent, you know, rock climb. There was some, you know, it was pretty steep in a couple of spots. We saw one of those rock conies. They looked like, uh, you know, fat rodents, right? <laughs> about this big, you know, about this long. I don't know how much, they probably weigh 15, 20 pounds. Um, but that's, it's a, it's a rock cony or a rock badger. And Proverbs 30 will point to them as they're wise in the sense that they are not speedy. You look at the things and they're not, you know, they're a little fat and out of shape. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to be very fast. But it says in Proverbs, their wisdom is that they hide in the rocks. And, and they, they find a place where their weaknesses can be compensated for. Right? And they can hide in a good spot. And so that idea is, okay, that's wisdom. That's an, it's an example from the animal kingdom, but it helps us see why, you know, wisdom or skill in living. They learn to overcome their own weaknesses. So this idea of skillful living is helpful 
And because it helps us realize that wisdom is, is not because of an exceptional IQ, right? It, it, it involves knowing and retaining information to a degree, but wisdom is much more than that. Wisdom really has to do with the application of that knowledge in that we learn to live well. So wisdom essentially allows us to live well, uh, navigating life appropriately in, in word, action, reaction, or conflict. Wisdom teaches us things like self-motivation, how to delay gratification, how to uh, persevere while regulating our emotions, how to become well-balanced individuals that are productive in society, that are living in accordance with God's design for creation. So I I like, for instance, let me give you another quote from Wearsby. He says this, he says this, quote, note, uh, Quote, the pages of history are filled with the names of brilliant and gifted people who were smart enough to become rich and famous, but not wise enough to make uh, a successful and satisfying life. He tells the story in his commentary that before his death, one of the world's richest men said that he would have given all of his wealth to make just one of his six marriages succeed. In other words, it's one thing to make a living, but quite something else to make a life. Right? The guy was smart enough to become one of the wealthiest men in the world, and yet he was miserable in his private life. Why? Because he couldn't figure out marriage. He couldn't figure out relationships. And so in that sense, we look at that individual as successful monetarily, but as you know, Proverbs would categorize them as a fool because they cannot operate relationships in life. And so as a result of that, they're a fool. So as we, as we work our way through, and again, we, we will spend more time in each of these passages, but let me give you again the bird's eye view kind of flyover, the big ideas that we see in the book of Proverbs regarding wisdom. Proverbs is going to teach us that wisdom is sourced in God. It comes from God. It's received by those who fear God. That's what we're going to talk about next week, is we're going to give a whole session to verse uh, chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is often heralded as the key verse to the book of Proverbs, and I think for good reason. Uh, So we'll come back and and give uh, a whole session to that idea. But wisdom is sourced in God. It's received by those who fear God. Those who have wisdom will be protected. Wisdom protects from uh, really shipwreck in life, from foolish decisions, from bad choices and their consequences catching up to you. Wisdom will protect you from that. Wisdom, on the flip side, the positive side, provides blessing and a long life, according to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 to 20. Wisdom and blessing and a long, you know, wisdom grants blessing and a long life. Wisdom, according to uh, Proverbs 4, well, 3 and 4 and 8, wisdom is of, a, of supreme value. It is better than silver and gold, or better, more valuable than rubies. He says in, in chapter 8, he says, all the things that you can desire cannot be compared to wisdom. Wisdom is of supreme value. So therefore, it ought to be pursued as well as guarded. But, and that tells us something, because wisdom is not first innate. You have to learn it. You have to pursue it. There is a path to trod if you're going to become wise. But also it needs to be guarded, because you can at one point in your life be a wise individual. And then you can make some of the most foolish decisions that will characterize you as a fool. Solomon himself is a great example of that. But the idea is, again, that, and we'll come back to this in just a few moments, but the idea is of wisdom, there's a path to wisdom, all right? But before we we talk about that, in fact, 
Uh, well, let me, let me, can you keep up with me, Miss Joe? Let me jump to that real quick. Um, let's talk about this. It's the, one of the final slides. The path to wisdom or the road to wisdom. In other words, it needs to be pursued and it needs to be guarded. Well, we're going to, and we'll spend much more time developing this in weeks to come because, the, you know, specifically these first nine chapters are all about that. There are a series of lectures, father to son, trying to teach his son, first motivate his son to be wise, but then teach his son to pursue wisdom. How do you become a wise person? Well, here are four of your basic milestones along the way. If you're going to become wise, you do so first through observation and experience. Again, that's the Proverbs 6 thing, uh, go to the ant, thou sluggard, right? Consider her ways and be wise. In other words, you can, in chapter 7, he's going to look at uh, a a young man, a simpleton who was uh, foolish, and he went near the house of the adulterous woman, and so he'll describe that. But the idea is that just by mere observation and experience, you can begin to glean wisdom. This is why Proverbs will say that the the hoary head, right, the gray hair is a sign for wisdom. Why? Because they've just lived longer. Kind of going back to our sophomore illustration, right? Sophomores are foolish because they're so young, but they think they're so smart. And yet you, you fast forward and you put a few decades on that individual and they learn some things just by living life, just by watching what happens to their friends and what happens to their family, when people make decisions, right? They, just by observation and experience, you begin to glean wisdom, which is why it's so important for us to listen to those who are wiser than us, which is number two. We, the, on the road to wisdom, we gain wisdom by observation and experience, but also by intentional instruction. That is, we listen to people who are wiser than us. We listen to the gray-haired people that have been down the road a little bit you know, farther than us. And they can turn and they can instruct us. They can give us wisdom. They can help deposit it uh, in very simple yet profound ways. Thirdly, on the road to wisdom, we gain wisdom by mistakes and correction. Reality is we will make mistakes. We're going to do it wrong at times. And as a result of that, it actually helps us gain wisdom by knowing what not to do. You know what I'm saying? Whoop, that didn't work. I'm not going to try that again, right? And that's the idea of we're gaining wisdom by just making mistakes and learning to correct. But then ultimately, and we're going to come back to this idea next week because this is really uh, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord you know, is the beginning of wisdom. This is number four. On the road to wisdom, the, the primary thing is the revelation of God. In other words, there are things that I am just not smart enough to figure out. No matter how much life experience I have, no no matter how many people around me who are wise try to teach it to me, there are things that cannot be gained by mere human observation. Rather, there are things that we must learn and we must know because God has spoken. He has given us the information necessary. And that idea is what is the fundamental starting point to wisdom is that there is a God and he has spoken. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All right. So we'll come back to that concept next week. I don't want to, you know, uh, get lost in that too much right now. But for the last few moments, all right, I've got just a few minutes. Let's contemplate briefly this idea of a proverb. In other words, all the wisdom that the book of Proverbs has available to us, it's trying to convey that wisdom through the proverb. But just what is a proverb, right? That's, I think it's helpful for us to define it 
as well as to observe how they operate so that we can appropriately approach the book of Proverbs. Uh, Leland Riken, for instance, one of my uh, favorite authors in this regard, underscores the high value of proverbial literature by saying, quote, proverbial thinking enables us to master the complexity of life by bringing human experience under the control of an observation that explains it and unifies many similar experiences, end quote. Now that's a bit of a mouthful. So he makes it more simply. He puts it this way. Proverbs are a way of organizing what we know to be true about life. Proverbs are a way of organizing what we know to be true about life. The Hebrew word proverb, in fact, mashal, consists, it describes a savvy observation put into a pithy instruction. A proverb is typically one to two sentences long, right? They're short, pithy little sayings, but it's a way of trying to condense, boil down the observations of life and put it in something short, easy to remember. So to put it another way, a proverb is a a short, impactful statement of ethical import. It's teaching us a moral to the story, right? It's like Aesop's fables, except it's boiling it down to the moral of the story. There's just a one-sentence summary of a big idea or a big principle. So it's a practical insight regarding life in all of its parts. Here are some what I have found helpful definitions for a proverb. One guy by the name of Russell says this. He says, it's the wisdom of many and the wit of one. The wisdom of many and the wit of one. Riken says, he calls Proverbs, short sentences long remembered. Short sentences long remembered. A guy by the name of Arnott, he calls the Proverbs, laws from heaven for life on earth. Laws from heaven for life on earth. And then Charles Martin calls it wit that works. Wit that works. However, there's something really important about the Proverbs that you need to understand, okay? I've only got five minutes, so stick with me. Go to Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5, real quick. What you need to understand about the Proverbs is that they are principles that are situation-sensitive in their application. They're situation-sensitive in their application. What do I mean by that? Let me illustrate it. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5 says this. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Now, you may not know this, you know, interesting little tidbit here. Because of these two seemingly contradictory statements, one right after the other, there's actually some ancient Hebrew sages that contemplated whether or not the book of Proverbs should even be in the canon of Scripture. They said, wait a minute, that's a contradiction. One verse followed by the next, and they say two totally opposite things. What That, that doesn't make any sense. But those Hebrew sages were simply missing the concept of a proverb. Proverbs are situation-sensitive by design. They're not meant to be a catch-all categorical statement that universally apply to all situations. Rather, they are situation-sensitive. Let me give you a modern example. Every year when we go for Thanksgiving, when we would go, my mom would always say, too many cooks spoil the broth when we're making Thanksgiving dinner. Why is that? Well, she really meant, get out of my kitchen, right? You're ruining it. Let me do the cooking. That's what she meant. And that's a little proverbial statement. Too many cooks, spoil the broth. Get out of my kitchen. But, interesting enough, when we were all done eating and it was time to do the dishes, she would say, many hands make light work. Everybody back to the kitchen. 
It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, which one? That, that doesn't make sense. Well, it does make sense when you realize that it's a, referring to two different situations. So neither of those proverbs are universally true at all times in all situations. Rather, they're situation sensitive. And so what's, what's interesting, and this is where, again, it's a bit of a paradox, but stick with me. And we'll end with this. Paradoxically, to understand the book of Proverbs, one, again, needs wisdom, but yet you need the book of Proverbs to gain that wisdom. In other words, this is how it works. The more you read the book of Proverbs, you will come to discover what wisdom is. But the more wise you become, the better you become at understanding and applying the book of Proverbs. In other words, those two verses in Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, are both absolutely true. There are times when you answer a fool according to his folly. In other words, you take your stand, you make your position known, and you expose them for the fool that they are. But then there are other times that you're a fool to try and convince a fool because they're not going to listen. They're, they're not going to learn. And so you're wasting your breath. And now you look like a fool arguing with a fool, right? That's what he's saying. Now it takes wisdom to discern the difference. When is it time to speak up and to silence a fool? And when is it time to shut up and let the fool prattle on and show everybody that he's a fool? Does that make sense? It, both situations are realistic to life, but you need wisdom to discern which situation is appropriate at that time and which of these Proverbs do you need to apply at that moment. Does that make sense? So the book of Proverbs is, again, it's, it's a bit of a paradox. We need to study the book to gain wisdom, but then at the same time, we need the wisdom that it provides to appropriately apply the book. But that's why we're studying it is so that we, by God's grace, can learn the wisdom and the savvy to live life, to be able to navigate, because we are life is full of ethical dilemmas, relationship barbed wire, difficulties, hardships, pitfalls to fall into. But the better you learn the book of Proverbs, the more wisdom you gain, the better you can become at navigating life and living it with skill and meaning and purpose and joy and effectiveness to where you can be used of God as a weapon, if you will, in his cause and his purposes. So well, let's close in a word of prayer. Next time we'll come back and look at the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. All right? Yeah. Oh, Miss Sharon. Just a personal question. Yes. No, I don't know. I gotta go ask what my dad did with it. I think he framed it and stuck it somewhere. No, I don't I don't have it. Uh, but that, I mean, I've used a few wooden spoons that are, you know, they're just not quite as effective. They break too easy. No, I don't know, no, I don't know where the stick went. I think he, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, all right, let's close in prayer and we'll pick it up here next week. Father, thank you for the time this morning. Thank you for this marvelous uh, book in the scriptures that helps us gain and maintain wisdom, that helps us learn how to live life with skill and meaning and purpose. Father, we ask that you would help us. Help us to learn these things. Help us to, to not just learn, but to live, to, to main, you know, maintain wisdom, to gain this information, but then to learn to apply it in everyday situations and scenarios and relationships. That, Lord, you would give us this supernatural wisdom so we can live for your glory. We thank you, Lord, for your 
revelation of this truth to us, but we do pray for your grace week in and week out as we study it. Might you be magnified in and through all of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.